Okay, well, it gives me very, very great pleasure to be introducing our guest speaker today. Um, he comes from Southcourt Baptist Church, which is one of the large... Yeah, thank you, whoever said woo. Great, excellent. Um, he comes from uh, one of the largest churches in the Aylesbury, Southcourt Baptist Church. It's a great church. They do some fantastic work uh, with those in need in their community. Absolutely wonderful stuff. And uh, not only that, but uh, he and his wife, Rhiannon, are... Uh, our friends, we're, we're absolutely privileged to call them great friends. We've had some lovely times with them. And um, I'd love you to give a very, very warm welcome to David Graham. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. As always, a, a great introduction. Um, I, I said in the last service that I'd like that in writing. And... Uh, We'll put it on the internet. That would be just perfect. So um, great to be with you again. I uh, have spoken here before um, a while back and uh, really enjoyed that occasion. Uh, had a great time a little earlier on, and uh, here we are again. So I'm going to jump straight into... Um, I want us to read some Bible together, or rather I'll read it to you. So if you've got a Bible, either on your phone or whatever, it'd be great. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 4, right up there. That's what we're doing. Now, I'm going to read you um, a story that, it's quite a big chunk actually, um, but it's a great story. Um, I'm going to miss a few little bits out here and there, but hopefully we can get the gist of what's going on, um, because I think, as I've been thinking about what maybe God wants to say to us here this morning, I, I, I feel that this story really has a shout for us. So without further ado, uh, John chapter 4, um, let's go. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about lunchtime. It was about noon. Just then, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone off into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, uh, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because, it says here, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, 
go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you're saying is quite true. Sir, she said, I can see that you are a prophet. Uh, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And it kind of segues into a theological discussion for 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 a few sentences. So back into the story, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I... The one speaking to you, right here, right now, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come See a man who told me everything I've ever done. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's story. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Great story, don't you think? Some of it is, for some of us, it's, it's familiar. So um, what is it that I think emerges head and shoulders out of this. There's a particular thing that I want us to notice this morning. Now, in order for us to get our heads into it, I want us to watch a video. And actually, this video has something in common with the story that we've just read. Now, um, just a warning, nothing bad happens in the video, so relax. And just the question is, well, what actually is going on? What's going on here? It should be louder, it's, it's kind of... All right, that'll do. It goes on. Uh, let, me, let me tell you. So any ideas? What's going on in the video? Any, any thoughts? What? Somebody's coming. Definitely, there is definitely somebody coming. But but uh, pop star, uh, um, rock star, um, film star, 
you know, what, 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 could it, what could it possibly be? Um, well, actually, I think you should. Obviously, what's going on is that James Charles, this is James, it was James. He was opening, this was back in January, and in January, James turned up to open a shop in the middle of Birmingham, and actually, as he did that, the whole of Birmingham city center ground to a halt. Well, of course, it was James. Uh, hands up those who know what James is or have ever even heard of him. So there are two or three people. Hands up all those people who have never heard of James Charles ever before. Yeah. Well, I hadn't either. But actually, James Charles, this is what a newspaper says about James Charles. So if we could have it up so I can read it. James Charles, internet personality Charles, launched his YouTube channel focusing on makeup on December the 1st, 2015. And as of December the 8th, 2018, back of last year, has over 12 million subscribers and 700 million views on his Instagram feed. Has over 11.1 million followers. Where have you been? <laughs> That's bigger than Scotland. So, uh, you know, one of the two of you kind of knew who you were, and you win the cool uh, award for this morning. And uh, if you go home, probably to some of your teenagers who've gone out, they, they probably are way ahead of this, and they know exactly who this is. Because James Charles is a particular thing. He is very big indeed. And whatever you might think about him, he is an influencer. That's what they call him. Uh, so millions and millions of people follow James on the internet through his Instagram feed and all of those sorts of things. And so he is an internet social media in influencer who affects and guides and influences millions and millions of people. So, circling back to the story to try and make the connection, maybe you've already made it. If we were to ask Jesus this morning what his number one desire and design for us, I think he would use this word. I think he would say he wants us to be influencers. In summary of all the things that maybe he would desire for us, I think he wants us to be influencers. He wants us to be the kind of people who would affect and guide and show and be the kingdom of God to other people. That's the job that we've been given. So if you remember, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he means it. He wants us to be that influence. That's where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. So in this story, I think what we see is four top tips. If you, were, if you kind of connect with that idea and you're thinking about your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, and you're thinking, well, does Jesus want me to be? I'm going to give you four things from this story. You probably spotted them already, but let's just highlight them. Top tips on how to be a kingdom influencer. This is a masterclass by Jesus. It's a, an incredibly precious bit of the Bible that really speaks into our lives. So is that Okay. Good, I'm just checking that you're still there because that's uh, always useful. So, four things. Here's the first one. The first thing in terms of what Jesus' influence was is that it was personal. 
Um, if you look at the story, maybe you've got it open in front of you, you'll see it's one of those stories where uh, he's not talking to the big crowd. Jesus was very good at creating a crowd, and uh, often he, he had uh, problems with crowd management to the point where he had to go in a boat because the beach was full, and so he could draw a crowd. But that's not this story. Uh, this is it's not that kind of big influence over hundreds and hundreds of people. It's not even the kind of story where we're talking about him and his team, where he's doing a bit of a team talk, he's kind of teaching them through some stuff, he's showing them some stuff, that little kind of close-knit group, it's not even that. This is a, a story where Jesus is completely one-on-one -on -one with someone else. It's entirely a personal story. It really is a very personal and individual thing. And I think that's the first thing we need to notice. Why do we need to notice? Because often I think we get into the habit when we're thinking of important things that God might want to speak into our lives, we kind of sort of duck it ourselves and hope it lands with someone else. Or some other context. Maybe, maybe we hear a story, maybe as we're talking about being an influencer or being influencers this morning, say, yeah, that's what we need to be as a church. Uh, that's what we need to be as a movement. Uh, that's what we need to be as a group, depending on what your group in the church might be. But actually, I think the, the power in this thing this morning is if we take things personally. So don't do that thing where you think, well, I hope so-and-so is listening. This one's for you. It's all about you this morning. And isn't that a nice thing to be able to say in church? It really is about you in the first place and your influence. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I want us to take it personally. Where he says, you are the light of the world in the first place, I think it is personal. So here's the thing, where has God placed you? It may not be the place that you really want to be. It might not be the circumstance that you ideally want to be. And maybe in your head you're thinking, well, when I get to so-and-so or get to be doing this or uh, this has been cleared up or tidied up or whatever it, then's the moment I can do whatever it is that the sentence follows in this morning, then I can be a good influence. No. You, you are where you are. And even in the places where you don't want to be, God wants you to be an influence for him. Actually, whether you want to be or not, you are. You just are. Uh, all those people around you, whether it's family or friends or work or whatever it might be, your life affects other people's lives. So the question, only question left, is it a good influence or not so good? Uh, do we take the lead from Jesus in this personal one-on-one -on -one thing. Top tip number one uh, needs to be personal. What about top tip uh, number two? I think uh, it not only needs to be personal, I think it needs to be a present influence. So let's just look at, at the detail a little bit uh, very quickly. And I found this, this kind of idea from verses four through to seven, uh, a present influence. Now, Jesus had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground, Jacob, and all that. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, verse 6, from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about lunchtime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone off to buy lunch. Now, he, he, what he wasn't doing in this moment is he wasn't sitting there thinking, hmm... I know, 
this is going to be John chapter 4. And so he was kind of getting the, getting the John chapter 4 vibe going. And he's thinking, any second now, any second now, a woman will come. And where, where's the woman? He wasn't doing any of that stuff. Uh, you know, it wasn't somewhere else. He, he was present. What was he doing? Well, he was sitting down at the well because he'd been on a long, dusty journey. The sun was beating down on him. He was thirsty and hungry and longing for McDonald's. And he'd sent off the boys because, frankly, they were getting really irritating. So, I know, I'll send them off to town. They can go and get the Mackey D's, and I can just have some peace and quiet here. So, you know, it, Jesus was hungry and thirsty and all those sorts of normal things. But here is the thing I want you to notice. Somewhere between sitting down and then what follows he, he seems to become thoroughly present to the moment. Extraordinarily present to the moment. He, he notices another human being. And I, I, as he notices her, he also somehow hears what God is saying by his spirit about this being what he now wants to do. Ordinary moment. Suddenly, there's the, 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 the sense that he's in the zone, if you like. Noticing the person around him and also noticing what God by his Spirit is saying. Being able to see what God is doing. So, I, I don't know about you, but I find it quite difficult to stay present. Uh, I, I think... It's so easy to slip into kind of, uh, oh, there's a few seconds. Oh, no, there's people around me. Oh, very important here. All that, all that stuff. And, and, and actually, I think as a, a society, there is a, there is a sense in which we're, we're, we've never been more connected, and yet, in some sense, he's never more absent. It's become a cultural thing to have our own little sealed-off thing. And uh, uh, headphones seem to get bigger and bigger, in my experience. Um, and louder and louder and more and more irritating. To be fair, you can't blame it all on the tech. I think we as Brits have always had a bit of a problem with being available. It's all you boring people who say, yeah, you know, isn't it worth it? The world's going to rack and ruin. It's all to do with Apple. No, not so much. I, I think we've always had a problem with attention. I think we've always had a bit of a problem with availability. And maybe, maybe just this morning it's a gentle shake-up. That um, in oh so many ways we can... Be there but not there in our families, with our friends up to a point, with people we just happen to sit next to or um, work with or, or, or whatever it might be. The, 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 I think the interesting thing is that God often speaks in the moments that aren't designed by us. You know, we can, we can gear ourselves up for a campaign 
of presence. And the drawbridge goes down, we go out, we're present, and then we are absent kind of thing. Uh, I think we, we do that as people, and yet I think God wants us to have this seamless movement from one zone of life into the other, recognizing that God's already out there. He's not just in here this morning, He's at Tesco, or Aldi, or, you know, whatever, you know, other brands are available. God is out there doing stuff, and I, I think this is one of the fantastic values that your movement, the vineyard movement, kind of grabbed hold of with uh, Santa, as John Wimber, um, who just had this insight into being present to other people, to spot God moments or God appointments, to be watching for what God the Holy Spirit is doing and following after it and getting on with the stuff, as he used to call it. So maybe we just need to be a little bit more present. That's tip two. Swiftly on to tip three that I think is right here. I think we see here that Jesus' influence was a boundary-pushing influence. Boundary-pushing influence. Let's look at the detail. Verse 9. Uh, this is one. I'm sure you spotted this because it kind of jars, uh, or it should do, um, with us. So he, he, he was not kept out by normalized racial boundaries. Verse 9. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What's that doing in the Bible? As though it was, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> But Jesus, nah, nah. And then he kept it going. Uh, so not only was it racial boundaries, he's saying, no, I, I, that, that's, I'm not being kept out of that. I'm going to influence that. Uh, he, he wasn't kept out by gender boundaries being imposed. The disciples, always a smart lot, were surprised to find him talking to a woman, because not only do you not talk to Samaritans, blokes don't talk with women. Just don't do that. No. Jesus, it's no, we're not, we're not going to be kept out of that either. And then he just keeps going, doesn't he? As the story unfolds, it, you know, he's already pushing the boundary in terms of influence and connection. And then Guided by the Spirit, I think, there's a, there's a moment of prophetic insight, isn't there? And it's a very, 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 very risky one. So you've got to be absolutely clear that it's God's Spirit speaking. And he wades into this, I think, central issues of this person's life, this, this woman's life. He, uh, an area of conflict and oppression and imprisonment, probably. Uh, and he then begins to speak into the absolute core of a soul-destroying lifestyle. You have five husbands. Oh, sorry, you've had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. Well, say it like it is, Jesus. And I think what he's doing, and, and we could find other examples of this way that Jesus refused to have his sphere of influence contained 
because of what society would say or what the religious would say or whatever it might be. I think this is the principle. Uh, it's the Paul principle that he sums up later. There is neither Jew nor Greek, that's Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul spotted, what Jesus was setting in motion was this trajectory that was not going to be stopped. So what we're seeing here is, is that there are no no-go areas for kingdom influencers. None. Not one. There's no place where Jesus doesn't want us to be, to have influence for change and for good. And one of the things I, I love about you guys as, as a church, because uh, as you probably know, we've connected up on different things that we've been doing, and I've got to know James, and I've got to know one or two others, along with Lynn and Steve, and, and the heart that you have is that you are a boundary-pushing church. I, I think you're the paratroopers of the Christian world. You know, all the others have to plan carefully how they're going to take the beach. You don't do that stuff. You just get dropped in the middle of things and you work it out as you go along and are such an amazing force for good. You, you refuse to accept that there are areas that you can't be involved in, that you are actually good news to the poor. That's your reputation, in case you didn't know. You are good news to the poor. Uh, you, you express a kind of freedom in this town that is notable, that's characteristic of who you are as a church. You, you go out of your way to walk into areas of no-go and oppression and say, no, we're going to be here. Whether it's in camps in France or whether it's just the the rough and tumble of, of many challenging and difficult situations that we have as part of this beautiful county town of Buckinghamshire. People don't know the whole story. And you're a place of favor. It's not just in here. You, you want to be carriers of God's goodness and favor and forgiveness and grace to people all, uh, all, all over the place. And so my message to you this morning is for, for goodness sake, and I mean that, don't stop. Don't stop pushing. Uh, don't start building a monument on things. Don't continue to be a movement, a force, a, a adaptable, uh, uh, risk-taking, uh, oh my goodness, what are people going to think of us, but still do it kind of outfit. Don't stop. We're cheering for you. We, we, we'd love to emulate you, and, and to some extent, I think, you know, there are churches around Aylesbury that are beginning to get the message, and, and hopefully my church is one of those. Boundary-pushing influence. Actually, the future, I think, is going to get more tricky because we worry about guilt by association, don't we? And we, we worry that we'll be misunderstood and somehow that we'll misrepresent things. Well, Jesus didn't worry about that, did he? Just waded in there. Boundary-pushing influence. 
keep switching the light on in our town. So, uh, personal present pushing. Number four. This is the final one. We're coming to the finishing line. I think we see in this story Jesus' influence as a place-changing influence. I think it's truly astounding. What can begin with, excuse me, can I have a drink? How it flows and where it goes. Sometimes it just it might end if, if that's the sort of, you put yourself into it. It might be that someone says, uh, and you have a conversation, or maybe in your situation is, it, can I buy you a drink? Uh, and you have a nice conversation, that's it, it's fine. Maybe things have shifted more than you think it is in just these simple things. But in this story, it doesn't stop there, does it? It starts with that one-on-one, that notice, that taking atten- paying attention to, to the people around and, or the person around and to what God by His Spirit is saying. And here's how it flows. Look at the detail one more time. Uh, this is how it flows. It, it says... Verse 28, then leaving her jar, this is the lady, her water jar, the woman went back uh, into the town and said to the people, wow, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Whether he did or not, but she's excited, and maybe he did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and stayed two days. And because of his words, and I would add her words, many more became believers. I I don't know who you think you are. Often when people say that, they're they're being mean. I'm being positive, but I, I don't know if... You know who you are, who you think you are. Maybe you're thinking, well, good, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to be that. And you, regardless of how often I've said it at the beginning, you're saying, yeah, that's a good one for us as a church, and we should be more influential and God, you know, listening to God more and so on and so on. I'm telling you that God believes in you. We often talk about believing in God, don't we? But the astounding thing, and frankly, it wouldn't be the way I'd do it. I'd use angels. But for some crazy reason, uh, God in Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, has chosen you. I mean, really, you. To change things. Out of just who you are as a person, you, you can't be anyone else. Everyone else is taken. You can only be yourself. And God wants you to be just that. That's how he's made you. And you're a person of influence right where you are, right the way through this week. And it's not up to you whether it's a a mini change or a massive change. But what I think maybe we will learn from this is that if if we're not available and open on the micro level to be open to God, it's difficult to know how as we factor it up, the, the change will carry on. Do you understand what I'm saying? But actually, you, you, each one of us here could be the start of a changed people, not just a changed person. So I wonder what influence we think we are. Um, I think we're people of influence. I think you're a church of power. And I think the combination of those things can change people.
So maybe as we finish up, we should be asking the question, well, what more does God want to do? What, what, what does He want to do in and through us? Uh, uh, maybe just this morning, it's, it's a kind of, wake up. I can use you. I want to use you. You, as you are. And maybe it's about believing that.